0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's In The Know podcast, where I'm absolutely delighted to have a guest with us who really doesn't need an introduction, especially if you're involved in the world of financial planning. But let me do the honors anyway, because today joining us is Alan Smith, who's the CEO of Capital Asset Management, the voice behind the Bulletproof Entrepreneur podcast, and the co-host of Trap, which is the Real Advisor podcast. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> hi, hi, James. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No, no, it's a pleasure. I've been really um, keen to have a conversation with you because I've been following you for a while now. Um, and you seem to be in my life quite a lot in sorry, a positive way. S- sorry about that. Yeah, don't blame me. Blame the algorithms. Yeah, you've got me. I'm in the matrix. Um, I think um, I was considering where to start this podcast because we've got some meaty topics to go through from uh, podcasting, pricing, which you did an article yesterday or quoted in the press. So it's quite timely. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get into the the rabbit hole and AI, which is probably how I found oh, wow. you uh, a few months okay. ago. So we've got some good stuff to go through. That's a lot. Um, okay. But probably starting from, um, if we look at it from now, uh, mm-hmm. Alan, because I'm looking at you as an individual and I'm thinking you've got a range of diverse roles. Doing lots of different things. So the first question I'm going to ask you is when you meet somebody for the first time, assume it's a dinner party or whatever, because I can imagine you to go into those. Uh, how do you describe yourself? Ah,
1: that age, it's like the, the uh, what do you call it? The, the elevator pitch. Uh, what, what do you say at a, at the dinner party or the barbecue? Uh, it's kind of a tricky one that's evolved over the years. Um, and it's quite an interesting one. I've, I've spoken to a few friends about this uh, recently, and I, I think, I guess it depends on who your audience is, but if it is like uh, a bunch of friends and you're meeting people that you don't really know, you're not, you certainly, I, I never like pitch anything uh, in social circumstances. I'm not looking for work when I'm at the proverbial dinner party, but I think there's a, I think it's important to kind of meet your audience or anyone that you meet kind of where they are, because I know, and I've made the mistake, for example, in the past of referring to myself as a financial life planner, because that's kind of what we do. You know, we're at the at the sort of intersection of, of, of money and finances, but also life, because, you know, a lot of our, our emphasis really is on the planning aspect of it rather than the pure kind of money side of things necessarily. Having said that, in my experience, most people think I'm some sort of, sort of life coach or something, which I'm I'm definitely not. So, on the basis of meeting people where they are in terms of people's understanding and definition of the various sort of roles uh, that, that you sort of I do in the day job, um, I, I use language like uh, wealth, uh, wealth manager. Yeah, I, I think with the, with the self description, you say what it is you do for who you do it for, for whom you do it for. So I say uh, I run a wealth management business for entrepreneurs. That's the kind of the the, the, the catchy title. Yeah. Um, because that kind of explain people know, I find people and I've, I've heard the term wealth manager, you know, it's self-descriptive, we manage wealth and all the various aspects and components of that. Um, but who we do it for, we don't do it for everyone under the sun. We do it for primarily for, for business owners and entrepreneurs. So, um, that's, that's the description. I don't really say anything else around about podcasting or anything else because they're more sort of side hustles that I do in support of the, the main day job
0: okay uh, that's a good start that's interesting though because i think i look at you and i think well you do podcasting so do you describe yourself as an entrepreneur or a podcaster but it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah it's nice to know that it's, it's grounded in financial planning or wealth management
1: yeah i think that, that that's that's the, the main descriptor i, I think what you don't want to do is spend 10 minutes sort of self-describing all the various roles that you do it, it all kind of distills down to a primary activity that is, you know, is that the company that I founded all those years ago, which is, is, is around wealth management and wealth planning primarily for business owners. Cause that's, so that's, that's, that's the simple
0: description I uh, run a wealth
1: management business for entrepreneurs.
0: Okay. That's the simplicity. Let's go a little bit deeper then. Let, let's, let's talk about you because I know you've spoken about um, values a lot. And mm. when most people talk about values, they talk about company values. Um, but I was interested to know what are your core values? and how that's shaped and influenced your career path to date.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a big subject in and of itself. Um, We've all got values, you've got values, I've got values, Um, everyone has, but they're not necessarily, we don't necessarily consciously think about them on a regular basis. So, you know, going back a number of years um, for the company, we decided it would make sense for us to uh, articulate and document the, the business's core values, um, who we are, what we stand for, what we represent, and effectively create a sort of company North Star through which we, we see the world, a lens through which we see the world. And we use that, and we've used it proactively. Um, we use our core values in the business for hiring people, for rewarding people, for retaining people, um, and, and really how we operate. And of course, as you say, we probably should have that sort of thing, all of us, um, and, and think about it within our, our lives. It's certainly something that we speak to clients about when we when we have those initial early conversations with new prospective clients. We ask them what their values are, and we will, um, in, in a kind of conversational type way. Um, and we've actually transferred some of those thoughts and concepts into some you know documentation that we can share with clients um, when they when we're asking them to kind of envisage their idealized future life because effectively that's kind of what we're, what we're aiming to do is, is to document and determine that and reverse engineer and put all the various component parts in place to give them the, the best chance of, of doing that. So specifically for, for me, um, I've documented those without going into a ton of detail. you know I, I've, my, core, my core values are really around family. Um, uh, my family is important to me, but also within that um, travel, things like travel, adventure, um, learning, you know, a sense of having a sense of curiosity and learning, and and giving back. And I've got a little notebook. I I, I use a a process called full focus planner, um, and that's that's a, a kind of an analog. In the world, if you talk about AI or whatever whatever else later on, in the digital world we all live in, I personally enjoy the process of an analog uh, book, which I, which I've got, which is a notebook, and it's a structure. Um, and it allows me to sort of plan my, my, my week and my, my month. And within that book, the first page of the book is just to constantly remind myself what my personal values are because I think it's important to live your life. So if I say my personal values are, are family and I don't spend any time at home with my kids or anything, then, I, then I'm, at, at, I'm in conflict straight away with those documented values. And similarly for things like travel and adventure, I can't just say that and then sit at home watch TV all day. Hmm. So I do do things. I and mean, we climbed Kilimanjaro a few years ago and I'm about to in a couple of weeks set off on a trek to the Arctic Circle and do some skiing and, and running and stuff across there because that's an adventurous uh you know approach and I think uh, I think it's important to be congruent with the things that you tell yourself and tell the world and what you actually do because there are companies that we know about and there are individuals that talk a good game and talk about their values, but actions speak a lot louder than words. So I think those things are important. Um, I've, I've got a document that I can share with your audience if they want, which, which is a kind of a two-page template. If anyone's remotely interested in applying some of these things uh, well, to business life possibly, but certainly to your personal life. I think they're important. And a lot of my, certainly my big decisions are taken through on a personal basis. My big personal decisions are taken through the lens of the core values that I believe I operate within.
0: I think it'd be great if you could share that. And it's interesting to hear that you are, you constantly assess those as well. Um, Have you mentioned a few things there, which um, I want to dive into a little bit, obviously, you know, the Arctic Circle, you know. Why that? But before that, um, you mentioned giving back. What, yeah. what, what does that mean, giving back to you? Look, I, I'm of an
1: age now where I've got a lot. I've got a lot of experience under my belt. I've just, I've been around the block. I've done a lot of things. Um, I've done i ro- I've made a lot of mistakes, um, and I've learned an awful lot. And I think some of that wisdom, knowledge, experience uh, is beneficial to others. So. I do like to, to, you know, that's a form of giving back. I spend a fair amount of my time, actually. I've, I've just come out of a meeting with a young advisor who's at a bit of a crossroads in his life and um, just wanted to pick my brains. And I'm happy to do that, you know, within reason um, to people and, and, and you know, give back uh, to that extent. A lot of the stuff that I do, and we can chat about it through uh, podcasting, through content creation, a number of other things, you know, I, I hopefully I provide some value to some people, in terms of sharing my thoughts and experience, Look, I'm not always right, and I, and everything I say obviously is just my opinion based on my experience. And everyone's entitled to have a different opinion. Um, but those are ways; those are just some simple ways that uh, I would aim to to give back. There are other things I do, in my sort of personal life um, around, you know, ac- activities. I me- I mentor uh, some young people, um, and I you know meet up with them, and I sort of hopefully help to put them on the right path towards their own sort of uh, future careers ambitions and life so as i say i think when you're a bit older and you've got a bit of experience and hopefully a little bit of time uh, on your hands and able to share and give some thoughts and some guidance and some direction to people who will benefit from it who are actually probably taking some pretty big decisions themselves in their own lives Certainly when I was younger, I had a couple of mentors at different stages in my life that were super useful to me. And I, and I, think, uh, I think it's incumbent, actually, on, on most of us who've, um, you know, who've, who've lived a life up until this point and have got the knowledge that they can share to do exactly that. Because I think it can be so helpful and so insightful at different points in other people's lives.
0: Yeah, I think everyone needs a mentor. I think mm. they're so valuable. Uh, I've yeah. had several. And even now, the the, the, um, the advice always resonates through my head in terms of what I should or shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, and quickly, Arctic Circle. Tell me more about that. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Yeah, I
1: asked myself on the basis that, yeah, I'll be there pretty soon. Uh, I don't feel quite fit enough yet. Why? Well, I mean, what, why am I doing it? Well, for, go back to the, your original question. It's in line with my sort of self-determined set of core values. Uh, it's a sense of uh, it's a spirit of adventure. It's something. It's it's a it's a challenge. It's I was looking at what the what we're supposed to be doing. We're actually going to the Arctic Circle at the point where Norway, Sweden, and Finland all meet. You'll be able to see the Northern Lights up in sort of full effect, etc. Um, and it's outside of my comfort zone. It's quite a challenge. It's um, it's cross country skiing um, for. A, quite a distance, it's it's walking, running across the snow and uh, it's cycling also across snow in some of these kind of fat tire bicycles. It's about 80 kilometers. Um, so it's definitely outside of my comfort zone. It's gonna be quite difficult for me to do, but without being too boring or cliched, it's a fact that all progress happens outside of your comfort zone. If we all lived within our comfort zones 24 seven, we wouldn't really progress in life. And certainly most of the, the things if I've achieved Anything in my life is because I've done things which are quite hard, which have become qu- quite difficult. Which going into them, yeah, they do appear to be hard. Certainly, anything you've never done before certainly appears to be hard because you get no sense, no points of reference, because you've never done it before. And hopefully, if you get to the other side of it, certainly. So a few years ago, I climbed Kilimanjaro, and we did quite a lot of mountain climbing um, with a bunch bunch of friends of mine who are actually the same group who are going on this Arctic Circle uh, trip. Um, and there were moments. Uh, during that, which you know, that were deeply uncomfortable for me with altitude sickness and various other things, but when you come down the other side and you've achieved that outcome, um, there's a, there's a sense of quite satisfaction. I managed to achieve it. I pushed myself beyond what I thought possibly I could I could do. So you know, there, there's there's yeah, there's some satisfaction, reassurance, and comfort in that. It, that and, and I also think if you if you like that, it can translate across to your well to, to other aspects of your life, particularly business life. Because if you're able to build a sense of resilience in your business, because I can tell you, well, you know, uh, anyone who's listening to this has ever sort of started a business, ran a business, you need to have a, um, you need to have resilience because, you know, life comes at you in different ways and unexpected ways. So that's kind of the reason that I'm doing it. Um, And the other thing aligned to that is I I I had a birthday last week. And so another year older and... I think as you get older, just speaking for myself. As I get older, I do have a sense of mortality, really. I have no plans on dying anytime soon, but there is, um, there's a concept called momentum mori. I don't know if you've heard of this. It comes yeah. out of the, uh, the Stoics. I'm a big fan of Stoicism and the Stoics and the ancient Greeks. Um, and momentum mori roughly translated means remember you'll die. And it's just, it's something that the, the, the um, that this this group of philosophers embraced, you know, thousands of years ago, and it just reminds you um, that we, we'll, you know, we've only got a limited amount of time on this planet, and it would be a shame to waste it. We really should embrace life and, 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 and everything it offers, um, because one at one point we won't be here anymore to uh, to enjoy and experience it. So <laughs> there's There's actually. Um, there's actually an extension on Google. On if, if you have, if you use Google, there's an extension which I use, and it's it's got it literally got all the years you've got in your life mapped. <laughs> so it actually breaks it down, I think, to months and weeks, um, and it's quite sobering to click on that now and again and say that's another month gone, and you know you've only got it depends how long you live for, but certainly I, I I'm over the age where. Um, I'm certainly more than halfway through, consistently more than halfway through, unless there's some extraordinary breakthroughs in medical science. So it's just, a without getting too negative or But it's just a reminder that we need to embrace life and achieve what we can and make the impact that we can during the time that we've got. That's kind of, that's a long-winded answer is why I'm going to the Arctic Circle.
0: That's interesting. And do you, mortality, do you fear it? I know no. we're going to get quite deep, but... No, so no. You, don't, you don't fear it. You're just living what you have and enjoying what you have.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't fear it at all, but I, I I am reminded of it. We all are reminded of it. And sadly, you, you know, we hear of people and we, you know, we work with clients who are fairly mature in years and every now and again, one of them sadly passes away and that's another reminder. And then you hear some other tragic stories of things that go on and, um, you know, life is quite fragile actually. And, I think, as I say, I, I just want to make sure that both in my personal life and a professional life, that I embrace as much as I can, that I, I achieve, I, I'm a big believer in just doing our very best to, to achieve our potential. There's nothing worse than seeing somebody that had so much potential and they didn't even begin to start to take any action to achieve and, you know, embrace their potential and, and, and take action, um, you know, to achieve it or get close to achieving it. Um, there's 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 a saying I'm probably going to butcher it I can't remember exactly but there's a saying that the uh, definition of hell is when on your last day on earth the person that you are met the person that you could have become mm. you know so uh, that's, yeah that's, that's yeah. deep yeah, it's deep, it's deep, yeah. but, but it's true though. You know, if you thought, God, I could have done this and I could have done that and I could have made an impact and I could have, you know, been this person in, in, in life and business with, you know, with with your family or your friends, and I didn't quite ever achieve it. I was always busy doing something else or I was always a bit lazy or I didn't ever execute or achieve things. So that kind of would, would, try, I don't want really to get, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely crazy, but mm-hmm. I do have a sense of, you know, kind of make, make every day count. You know, within reason, something you know, Give yourself a day off. You know, have a kick back and watch Netflix for as much as you want to do. But you know, trying to make sure that every month or every year, you sort of. I, I I believe that you're you, you're not in competition with anyone else. You're in competition with the person you were yesterday or the person you were last year. And so the things that we do, you ought to look back um, on the person you were a year ago and say, Yeah, I'm I'm better. I'm fitter. I'm stronger. Or I'm I'm more educated. Or I'm just a um, a more accomplished professional. Perhaps I think that's that's the sort of it's a useful rule to live by.
0: Yeah. I have a similar rule with the guys that I work with now. And I, I always say, just be a bit better today than you were yesterday.
1: Yeah. Small somebody else
0: t- It's not mine, but somebody else told me that. And I said, just, yeah, small steps. Just keep pushing yourself. Tiny incremental steps. There's a great book called Atomic Habits by James
1: Clear. that's, that's just w- worth reading and reminding yourself about it. Because that, that's the whole point is atomic in, the, in, in its, its tiny, tiny, tiny things. Um, and habits being, you know, do them regularly. If you can do lots of positive atomic habits on a regular basis, the person you are a year from now will just be you know, exponentially better than the person you are today and the person you were
0: a year ago. Yeah, okay. That's, no, that's really really good. Um, let's talk about podcasting then. Atomic okay. habits, something you're um, podcasting at the moment. And mm. um, I think you, uh, you, know, you, you've got, you strike the right balance because you've got the trap, which is interesting, and then you've <laughs> got bulletproof. Yeah. entrepreneur, different, different um, obviously guests in that. But what was the, what was the trigger? What was the thought process by starting a podcast?
1: Uh, it was, it was a COVID dividend. <laughs> I would say we were all, I mean, the thought process really began 2020 as we remember those dark days when we were in lockdown and, and lockdown, as we know, kind of changed a lot of things and what it meant for me one of the things it meant for me, because I, I live in central London, but I escaped and I took my family and we went away to uh, down to the south coast and we're in a cottage. And it was lovely in many respects, um, but I had more time in my hands. And I was just and I was I, well, I consume a lot of podcasts. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and I just really like the medium of podcasting Um I'm getting a little bit more into YouTube now, but I was not a big YouTube consumer. And the reason for that is because it demanded my eyeballs and demanded my time and attention. Whereas podcasting, you can do other things whilst listening. So I could be going for a walk on the beach or I could be at the gym or I could be driving a car or doing something like that whilst consuming some, hopefully some really helpful information. I like the long form nature of podcasts. It's not like a TikTok 30 seconds soundbite. You know, it's half an hour or an hour in some cases. Some of the, some of the ones are ridiculously long. But if they're interesting enough you you listen to them so i like the I like the idea of podcasts I consume podcasts during lockdown. I thought well why don't I start my own that was that was the kind of the the idea and it did start with um bulletproof entrepreneur and the the idea behind bulletproof was just again in in, in the role that I perform on a day to day basis historically I've spent a lot of time our business at capital certainly over the last number of years we have worked mostly with entrepreneurs, with business owners. We, we, we've, we've developed a bit of a, a niche focus um, on working with business owners, particularly around the time that they are um, hitting a liquidity event, like they're selling the business or they're selling a large part of their business. Um, and I would find myself just in a normal you know, day job, sitting in our office or somewhere else. And as part of that initial kind of discovery process that you have when you first meet with a prospective client, I was always fascinated, genuinely fascinated by the origin story and and asking them, you know, tell me, how did you get started in business? What was life like? What were you doing before that? And they would tell me these just incredible stories of, you know, how they got going. And and, and there was never a story that was a straight line. That was where I started this business and we grew it really fast and we sold it out for millions and happy days. It was always these kind of twists and turns and snakes and ladders and one step forward and two steps back and all that stuff. And I was generally fascinated by it. And often I'd be in, in these meetings and I thought to myself, and because I was really thinking a lot about podcasting, I thought, you know, if I just had a microphone here right now, this would be absolute gold to so many other business owners or aspiring entrepreneurs or people who are thinking of starting a business. Because what you just told me was you know, was learned from the school of hard knocks, was being actually, you know, in the weeds, at the coalface, doing this stuff and the lessons you've learned and the things that you would do differently if you're starting again. And that was that was the origin. Of, and that's eventually what it became. Rather than, you know, sit in a closed room just with, with, with somebody else, I thought I invited people into other digital rooms such as this and put a microphone in the middle and, and had the same sort of conversation. And, and I would, and that, that's that's the premise of it. So the reason for doing it was, I genuinely thought I could. Again, back to the original uh, point that you raised about values um, and giving back. I thought this needs to be. This is a resource and a valuable resource for other people who are on the same path as the people I'm speaking to, but they might be one years, three years, five years, ten years behind them on their own journey. So can I create a platform, a repository? of ideas, inspiration, thoughts, advice that are going to be beneficial to other people. And that was the genuine driver behind it. Now, the other benefits from it nowadays is I personally, I'm a business owner myself, and I'm on the journey myself, and I'm getting kind of free consultations by some super smart you know, entrepreneurs. And I've I've learned so much, honestly, just on a personal basis. Every single conversation I've had, I've taken at least one and sometimes 10 really useful pieces of advice and information away, you know, back to my my own business, my own circumstances. So those were the primary drivers for starting Bulletproof. And, you know, similar process to the Real Advisor podcast and Trap. And you'll know if you listen to it, Trap is is, it is different for sure. Mm-hmm. Different audience, really, although there is definitely some crossover. Between the two podcasts, but Trap obviously is uh, four of us rather than one one person on the podcast. But again, similar idea, similar origin story. And the three other co-hosts on Trap, Nick, Andy, and Carl, we're all friends. You know, in real life, we, you know, we meet each other socially, and we um, we chew the fat, and we you know we argue about certain things, and we agree about certain things, and we have our own views and comments about the the sector and the profession. But literally, that started in we went. I think it's just last year. We, 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 went, we went across to um, the three of us, UK-based, went to Ireland. And we went on a what was loosely dis- dis- um, discussed as a, a walking holiday. We did a bit of walking. Um, spent a fair bit of time in a pub in Ireland and uh, in restaurants. And one night we were sitting in a restaurant um, enjoying good food and some good red wine. And, the, and we were just having those conversations again. We were just having a healthy debate about the state of the profession, the future of it, what the opportunities and the challenges were. And I said, again, we should make a podcast. We could put a microphone in this during this conversation and I'm sure there'd be some value. Why don't we give it a go? If it's if it's hopeless and rubbish, we'll just give up after a while. But um, I'm a big believer in the idea of making small experiments, just just doing a couple of things, seeing if it works and then trying it again if it works progress move forward if it doesn't don't worry about it let it go so that was the story of of trap and we came back and um of course the other people on the real advisor andy in particular he's a seasoned podcast and nick nick had his own podcast as well he's he's suspended it at least or stopped for the time being after 99 episodes famously not (laughs) a hundred that tells you all you need to know about nick lincoln or lick ninken as he's known 99 stop um <laughs> so so they they had definitely some some decent podcasting experience in behind in terms of knowing how to get it started and what the equipment was and how you actually do it but as, as you know if you listen to it it is fairly fairly informal by, by its very mm-hmm. nature it's designed to be it's not overly engineered we don't really edit anything at all we we get together every couple of weeks we sort of s- switch the laptops on and we have a you know, a, a, an unscripted conversation about stuff, but there doesn't seem to be anything else like it. And it's been really popular. Mm. It's, um, it, it's got a lot of traction. There's a lot of listeners now. And I, I think it's making an impact. Some of the conversations I have and people that kind of circle back to us and say, look, that thing you just, just you know discussed on the last episode, that's really got me thinking about X, Y, and Z. And I can see, I'm, I'm not seeing we're entirely responsible for it, but there's a lot of changes i feel going on in the sector right now there's a lot of people kind of considering their options and looking at different directions of travel we've got our you know the we, we call it the real advisor podcast and it is slightly arrogant but it's intentional because this is our opinion others are free to disagree it's our opinion and our view of what real financial planning is is the, the things that we discuss the things that we embrace and so seems to have struck a chord shout out whilst i'm on this we are having a live event we're taking the podcast live due to you know a number of people have said to us it'd be great if you know this seems to be the thing of podcasts if you get a bit of an audience have a live event so depending on when when this goes out tickets are still available get your tickets for the real advisor podcast live in london
0: on may the 9th so that's that's where we are with podcasting well we'll we'll put a link out to that as well Um, thank you very much and and i think it works because of the chemistry that's yeah. so right, it works and I think it's topical and it's, and it's informative but do you ever get the, the feeling because um, we do live in a very regulated world do you ever think oh we've gone too far there do you ever think oh the regular, regulator might be listening to this or do you think nah, we're four mates right. having a chat we don't care <laughs> that, and I think that's the beauty of it it's
1: look um, I'm a believer in ask for forgiveness not permission you know if we've always set the marks they're really sorry we won't do it again. Look, we're not there to, you know, we're not there to annoy anyone or cause problems for anyone. We are people who are giving, uh, an, our own personal opinions on the state of play in things. We don't, we don't give regulated advice. I, I, w- I wouldn't mind the regulator listening to it. It's, I think it's an insight into what people who are doing the job are actually thinking about, what the issues of the day are. Um, you know, we pointed out a number of things that we think are. Sharp practice are, you know, things to be wary of or be careful of. And I think there are things that the regulators should be paying attention to. Um, so n- no real issues there. I have to say, though, this is another thing why it's probably quite good for us. All of us are running independent practices. We're not part of some large institution which would have, you know, all sorts of compliance and lawyers and God knows what else who would have to vet every single conversation, every single episode. And it probably veto a lot of the things we talked about. Um, so, and we're all directly authorized. We don't members of networks. So I think that gives us the freedom. We're not going to do or say anything. I mean, our our private conversations, we don't say anything, which is, I think, out of line with what we'd expect for, you know, some professional people working in a a highly regulated and complex sector. So, um, no real concerns from a regulatory viewpoint. No, not yet. Not yet anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully not listening to this, Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's good because I think it's, um, I, I think there's a real uh, desire for people to become across as authentic and real mm. because there's so much vanilla out there. So when you've got that chemistry and you're doing it, I think he engages people. And obviously the numbers work for you and you're taking it on you know, on a live show, which is, which is great. So keep doing it. Thank I you. want to go back to Bulletproof Entrepreneur. Yeah. When you are interviewing these um, highly successful people, you say that you pick up certain things from each conversation. But what would you say that you know, they have in common? What are the common themes to these like ultra successful people?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question. And um, it, uh, I do reflect on this quite a lot. Because, so, yeah, let me think. I mean, most of them, it, it's a mix of, of people. They are, they are mostly, mostly not all, but mostly exited entrepreneurs. So they've built a business usually from scratch, from an idea and they've done that classic entrepreneurial journey. They've they've gone through all the trials and errors, and they've built it. And they've scaled it, and they've exited on the other side, usually for a transformational sum of money. That that I have to say as well was was a, a really interesting point for me because it's the human journey. The, 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 there's loads of content out there about you know st- scale ups and startups and raising capital and all that sort of stuff. I was really genuinely interested because again of the work that I do with with clients. Um, on the human journey and the person you become, because there's, you know, most business owners, their whole, their personality and their identity is wrapped up with their business. And then you sell your business and you're no longer the king of the castle and the CEO or the founder, you're, an, you're now an exited founder, depending on your circumstances. So how does that impact your life, how you show up in the world, your relationship with your friends, family, and other people? So, and, and quite a lot of that, lot of that has come out in the conversations to varying degrees but you begin to after i've done 40 something episodes now so we're, you know we've we've done quite a few but there's still quite a lot to go but there are some emerging themes in terms of the you know the reasons for for success um i i think this, the, the the biggest one is resilience i really do i think it comes back time and time again if you hear some of the stories i mean some of them are just you know, the wow moments. Some of the, the guests, so just to be clear, some are clients of ours. We, we wouldn't, discuss, I mean, some of them have actually said, they've talked about the working relationships. That's fair enough. They disclosed it. But for, obviously for privacy reasons, I wouldn't say who they are unless they choose choose to. So some are clients, not all are clients. Um, but there are some clients, some who are clients who told me things which I thought, wow, I didn't even know that. I, you know, you work with others, but we because The podcast gives you an opportunity to speak about a specific thing about business building and go quite deep into it. You kind of you go to another layer, I suppose, of information. But to know that some of them had, um, you know, they nearly lost their business. I mean, one of the ones and they they did say that they were um, the clients of ours. So Richard and Sonia Dixon, for example, they built a travel business. And from scratch, from an idea into having hundreds of staff and you know, worth millions and millions of pounds. And then, as we've already alluded to, this thing called a pandemic came along. And mm. in travel, well, no one's traveling. And in a travel business, if no one's traveling, you're not earning any money. And they were just about to exit. They were just about to sell for a lot of money. And all of a sudden, their business overnight was worth nothing. You know? wow. and, they were, and this is the husband and wife team. And so their problems never go away. You know, they, they, they problems, you know, they talk about it at night. They go to work in the day, absolutely nuts. And wow, you know, they got the other side of that. They, they were at the brink of losing 30 years worth of their life and the resilience you need to get through that mentally, physically, and everything else. You know, that, that, that to me was just really inspiring. And and they were you know they weren't the only ones. Others had stories of the sacrifices that they made and the things they had to do. I mean, in some ways, it would put you off ever starting a business, really. Some of the, the things, mm-hmm. but of course, they you know they fought their way through and they, they sort of they, they achieved their outcomes, the positive outcomes at the end. But I think that's the, that's the main theme that comes through. There's a lot of other things um, that do you know that come through to, to varying degrees about you know having having a clear vision, having a direction of travel you want to head in back to the things we talked about uh, earlier on, about um, having values within a business, bringing a team of people with you, um, you know, setting your stall up right from the beginning, knowing. And I think the other thing that comes through as well is if you are in business, is being really clear about the different types of business that there are. The majority of businesses, you know, we, we can get caught up with all these very glamorous Online, all, all these wonderful stories we hear about these tech entrepreneurs that start these businesses and they become unicorns. You know, they're billion pound, billion dollar businesses and they get all the headlines in the news, but they are this so, so rare. They're so unusual. Um, the, I mean, this, we put a, a new episode out just the other day um, with Christine, Christine Nicholson, who's an exited entrepreneur, but she advises entrepreneurs as well. Some of the stats she was sharing with me were just interesting. You know, 90% of businesses just fail and 50 percent just they don't fail but the the owner just closes the doors and just walks away at some point it's only it's a very very small number one in two thousand businesses are ever are ever sold for the for their true value is 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 a key thing so i think an important thing for business owners is recognizing what type of business are you are you a lifestyle business one which generates revenue uh, and hopefully profits but will never be sold or are you really a, a you know a scale up, a scale to exit type business where you are going to be reinvesting a lot of your profits back into marketing and sales growth and all that sort of thing because you're hoping for a big payday? And I think there's a lot of businesses which sit on the fence and neither one or the other. And that was one thing that came across to me that you really have to know there's not absolutely you know, vast majority of businesses, as I say, are um, you know, you know, the call it lifestyle businesses. Uh, um but cash cow businesses, ones that, that throw off an income, um, but you're never going to grow it, you know, t- to a multi-million type business. But you know, be sure, be be certain of what type of business you are. I think that's another thing that comes across from the various conversations because we've we've had both uh, on the conversations, and, and both are equally successful, but in different ways. But it, once you know the type of business you want to be, then it will determine the sort of actions and the things you do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis in order to achieve the best possible outcome for that type of business.
0: That's a really interesting stat there, one in 2,000 in terms of the true value. One in
1: 2,000 sell for the, for the true value. Others sell, but perhaps they didn't sell for the, the, the optimized value that they could have done because they haven't really optimized themselves for, for an appropriate sale and exit. I wonder what that
0: stat is for financial planning. Yeah, no idea. Because um, I, th- I-, I think the values are very very good at the moment. Well, they were last year in terms of the M&A activity.
1: But it, it depends. I mean, what, it, what is the true value of a business? And there's, there's multiple different um, factors that, that go into it. I mean, the, the IFA sector is, is a well-explored business. As you say, there's lots of activity uh, going on. But then again, and again, linking to a point we might chat about in a minute, um, I advise a bit well, all businesses, really, when it's sort of distilled down in its final analysis, are, are, um, are valued on profitability, really, about the ability to generate free cash flow within a business. That's the ultimate measure. There's, mul- there's lots of other ways that people in IFA land talk about you know, multiples of revenue and so on. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, ultimately, if you're not making much profit and there's no likelihood of, then it's probably not going to be worth uh, an awful lot. So with that in mind, what are the businesses uh, three years from now going to look like with this tidal wave of new technology coming our way? So somebody sold this year, last year, if they'd held on for two more years, could they have doubled the sale value? Because all of a sudden, their profits are going to double because they can achieve an awful, lot more. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm guessing. Who knows what's going to happen exactly? But mm. there's no doubt about, about it that the, the the technological tidal wave heading our way is going to materially change all businesses, and and in, not least of all, IFA's financial planning, wealth management businesses. They're going to be changed significantly. So, <laughs> that's you're selling out for the, the full value. Maybe someone who's just sold for what was perceived to be full value today.
0: If they'd held on, even for a short period of time, they could have got significantly more. Who knows? That's um, the big unknown question, though, isn't it? Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll cover that in AI because I think that's going to transform every industry, to be honest. It's huge. Um, yeah. And I'm really in that rabbit hole with what we're doing here. Um, but I think the next sort of segue we're going to talk about is, is pricing, which is okay. quite poignant, really, to determine you know value. You've we're not we're not going controversial at all, are we? No, not at okay. all. <laughs> so I think in terms of uh, pricing, um, you changed your pricing model um, yeah. and your proposition a few years ago, and you've been yeah. very very honest about that. And in fact, you put a um, a YouTube video out. Yeah, and if people haven't watched it and they're thinking about it, I'll definitely put a link into that because I watched that and I thought it was really interesting. But again, um, what was what was the um, inspiration? What was the trigger behind changing your your pricing model?
1: Well, there's there's an an underlying philosophy, and again, linking back to previous conversations um, in this business that I'm in, that that I started, and that all my colleagues embrace. I mean, we all we all agree with each other. We are prepared to challenge conventional thinking all the time. Right? And, and since the day we started, we're quite a different business the day we started. The day we started, you know, I was a one-man band startup. And what do you do? You just look around and copy what everyone else does. Um, but since then, we've evolved a lot and we've changed. You know, we, we weren't doing proper financial planning when I started. That's absolutely... Um, integral to the work we do now our investment strategy was entirely different uh, to what we do now and all the other stuff we do and almost the, the the last piece of the jigsaw that we hadn't really explored too much was the pricing the pricing structure and we copied everyone else when we started we charged a percentage of client investment assets but as life went on and and we evolved the business more and our thinking more and actually feedback from some of our our clients as well we began to question whether that was still fit for purpose That that percentage of assets model. Um, And we began to have some concerns and some worries about it because if you ultimately, um, we've got to think about what it is that we're selling. What is our service? What is our proposition to the world? What problems are we solving? That's the fundamental thing. And then you begin to realize, and all real financial planners know this, the real value is in this work we do called financial planning. And that's an overused term, frankly. Um, But when I talk about real financial planning, which is Working out where the client and the family are today, what an ideal future lifestyle looks like to them, and then joining the dots, putting the whole piece, pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together to optimize the chances of them achieving their a fulfilled life for them, their family, next generation, et cetera. So all the planning work, the strategic work, the, the, the sort of conversations, the joining the dots, the projects, all that sort of stuff, all our clients said to us, that's where the value is. And yet we're charging our fee as a percentage of their retail investment funds, their mm. pension fund, or something. Their pension fund or their ISA fund is a relatively small part of the whole, the, the entire picture of a family's circumstances, their life circumstances. So, how on earth could we talking about? Could we be positioning this proposition, which was frankly life-changing for many people, and still charging on the value of the pension fund? It just, it, it was just, there was an incongruence there that just was a we felt a bit uneasy. And the more you think about it, and we we wrote a paper about this, which I can share, we're probably going to just freshen it up a bit. It was a, It's a few years old now, but we, we distilled our thinking down and we thought, there's not one, but there's, 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 there's four challenges to this. The, 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 potentially the biggest one is this conflict of interest that exists. And it doesn't necessarily, it may exist for the advisor. It will definitely exist in the mind of your potential client. If the only way I can get paid is if you give me your money, your investment funds, your portfolio, your pensions, ISIS, whatever, the only way I get paid, then I've got a conflict of interest because I've got bills to pay. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> got a fee. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but investing isn't necessarily the be all and end all. To resolve a client's challenges and situations. So, paying down debt could be an important thing to do. Um, buying a property, buying a second home, because that's their dream thing they want to do with their children or grandchildren, but that's going to come out of their investable assets. Um, helping their kids on a property ladder. So, many other aspects of life are determined by things which are out with kind of retail investment products. What clients want is impartial advice, wise counsel, you know, direction, guidance thoughtful, a thoughtful approach based on wisdom and experience. They don't necessarily just want a pension fund. That's so that that's this inherent conflict of interest exists. I want to be able to give advice. And if my advice is do nothing right now, that's good advice. It could be good advice, but I still expect to be remunerated for that thoughtful built up over many, many years, carefully constructed advice. And that's what clients want. They don't want to be told, you know, the, the, the simple analogy is if you went to a, a doctor and had to pay for a doctor, if the doctor only get, got paid by prescribing you for with drugs, rather than say, look, just, ha, you know, go and get some rest, for example, hmm. then you would be, you'd be concerned. If he, the only way he can pay his bills and pay his staff and his team and pay his own mortgage is by recommending another drug product, <laughs> then I'll, I'm going to suggest that his advice may be conflicted. Possibly. There's, there's, other, there's, there's others. You know, it, It's the, it's the cross-subsidy effect as well um, that we had concerns with. The cross-subsidy meaning that fundamentally clients with more assets paying a percentage model in pounds and pence terms pay a multiple of clients with less assets. That's the bottom mm. line. Simple terms. Client with a million pounds on a sim- simplified calculation with a 1% a year pricing model pays £10,000 a year for advice. The client with £100,000 gets pretty much the same service for £1,000 a year. So the, the wealthier client pays 10 times for effectively the same service. And I know that there's, there's nuance and maybe there's a bit, of more, a bit more work, a bit more complexity. Fine, build that in. But don't t- it's not 10 times. Very rarely is it 10 times the amount, for example. So the, so the, the cross-subsidy causes some concerns as well. And I think frankly that 's something that the regulator is beginning to get their teeth into now as, as a result of consumer duty we 've seen a yeah. number of uh, initiatives started already, so i don 't think this is going to go away anytime soon so as a result of all this thinking and as I said earlier on some feedback we 've got some really smart clients you know the, the the entrepreneurial clients that built businesses and sold businesses you don 't do that by being a dummy you know these are you know intellectually advanced people, and when we had our pricing model as it was in a percentage they, and it was not really confrontational but a number of them have said to me look but all the values in this other stuff I'd happily pay you for all that stuff why are you charging me just on the pension funds or the the investment assets because that's less you know that's less interesting I think also from an advisor viewpoint um, the investment side of things and again advisors will argue with me all day long and they're perfectly again they're perfectly entitled to But the investment side of things is largely is becoming more commoditized. Put it this way. You know, I know that I can buy a fund from Vanguard, for example, off the peg for 20 basis points and going lower that based on evidence and data is going to outperform the majority of other, you know, highly active, traded, expensive. Active portfolios. That's just that's a statement of facts, you know, and, and um, so if if the value is in portfolio management, and that's why I charge a percentage of assets, and that's rapidly going lower, then I, I think if nothing else, from a self defense viewpoint, advisors ought to begin to think a bit more creatively about their pricing models. All other industries do. All other f- businesses and organizations outside of financial services think about pricing. Uh, and, I, and I think we've been,
0: as an industry, we've been fairly lazy because it's the easy option. It's it's starting to happen now, I've definitely. Because it's been in the in the news this week. There was a report from I think it was Next Wealth. Heather Hopkins is talking about it. There's there's, there's a shift. What's the reaction like being to your video? Because I think that was a, a very clear process of how you did it, how you overcame. Um, probably one of your ways to give back as well. Yeah. Um, but what's the reaction been like? The,
1: the, the reaction, well, I, I think it's, um, I think there are two reactions. <laughs> some are very positive and some are very negative. Um, I, when, I just know this for a fact. Any, any magazine or newspaper, anything in our profession, if they ever want to just get their clicks and their eyeballs and their sort of readership up, there's three subjects It's active versus passive. It's St James's Place and it's it's fee models. You talk about any one of those three, I'm telling you, your audience numbers go through the roof, Um, and and it is it is quite um, polar. You'll have, of course, the people that died in the world were never going to change. What the hell are you talking about? Just to be clear, I'm not remotely telling anyone else how to run their business. I wouldn't dare to do that. I would hate if somebody came in and said to me, no, you're wrong. This is not the way to do it. I'm here to say, this is the journey we've been on. Some people might find this of interest. If it's not of interest to you, move on. You know, Don't pay any attention to it. I, I created the video because we've been active in this world for years now. We've been running what we're calling um a value-based subscription fee model for years and we've managed to make it a success and we've made lots of errors and mistakes along the way but we're pretty much at the other side of that and we kind of we, it, it works for us commercially it works for our clients and it remains a differentiator and we do absolutely pick up worthwhile business directly on the back of just our fee model with perspent- potential clients coming to us and say there's no way i would sign up for any percentage charged advisor so as a result of that, over the years, I've, you know, on a regular basis, I get other advisors contacting me saying that we're thinking of doing this, but we kind of don't quite know where to start. And really, what I wanted to do was, I think, well, if I've had, to, if I'm getting all these calls, a just to sort of try to, you know, preserve my calendar, um, but because I want to help people, but there's only so many hours in a day. But also because if I've have, if I'm having a number of these calls, I'm going to guess there's other people at least thinking about it. So how can I just? creates a piece of content which others could dip into should they choose to um so that that was the background to it and every time i talk about it every time every now and again this comes up again and as you say consumer duty has it and and um heather and her research and there's a lot of other research out as well saying that, that this seems to be the direction of travel so when it sort of gets in uh, in vogue again i get wheeled out <laughs> the as a, the poster boy for retain, retainer based fee models um and yeah, you're right. There was one in, in the trade press just the other day, and I, I have to put on my hard hat to go and look at the comments section. Because lucky oh, I never I, do that. Lucky. No, I look at the first couple and think, now I'm out of here. I, honestly I don't care about it at all. I've got I, I've got I've just I'm resilient. I don't give a monkeys about what people say. They're always by the way they're always anonymous. If anyone ever they wanted to have a grown up conversation with me about anything, I'd be fully respectful of everyone's decision or their right to choose whatever the hell anyone wants to do. I don't care. Um, But if someone is genuinely interested and wants to learn a bit about how we've done it and wants to sort of have a version of it themselves, more than happy to help. So that article goes out and, you know, the comment section is full of negativity and who the hell does this guy think he is and blah, blah, blah. Fine. Um, But what I can tell you is that my LinkedIn uh, is just red hot because I've had a bunch of people say, I read the article, really interesting. Um, you, know, do you, you, you know, could you spare a bit of time to share a bit more? But at least I can now loop them back to the video and say, honestly, almost everything I might say to you is probably captured in those 37 minutes where I just brain dumped everything I could think about about the issue. The clear, just to be clear on this, I can't tell anyone how what pricing model to, I, I think I say that in the video. You do, yeah. I say I can't because people say, what, what do you think I should charge? I said, I've got no idea. It depends on so many factors, but I'll give you a framework to allow you to work out how to charge it so hopefully that that video will be useful and, and yeah if you post a link to it then others if they listen to this can go and find it if they want to if they're not interested then don't ignore bother. it it's yeah, fine
0: exactly. yeah, and I think that's absolutely fine I think we'll definitely put a link out to it because it's really informative and as I say to you know my kids who are always on social media the, the booze always come from the cheap seats you know oh, don't, exactly. don't, don't worry about it don't you know and it, you do build that resilience in terms of well you know it's always anonymous anyway so it's almost anonymous i don't listen to anyone from the cheap seats um
1: there's that this um concept of you know if someone's in the arena if someone else is is running a business like me um and they've got a polar opposite view and but they want to have a healthy conversation wonderful if you're in the cheap, if you if you've never done it which is what a lot of people are going to throw the stones from those cheap seats because they've never actually done it um, or their external consultants or something that never run a financial planning business, then you know you 're welcome to your opinion but i i 'm listening to it if you, if you, if you are in the, if you 're in the arena and doing this stuff and you want to have a grown up debate about it let 's let 's do that and i'm as i say i 'm not overly you know, excited about it. To me, it's actually, the the, the pricing, the fee model is, is almost the least of your worries, really. To me, mm-hmm. it was just, as I said before, the last piece of our jigsaw, get all the other stuff right, do proper financial planning, have a sensible, thoughtful investment philosophy that backs it up, and then embrace your real role. And your real role as a yeah. behavioral investment coach. Keep your clients working according to their plan that you've agreed, because that's where the value is, and yeah, if you can enhance or improve or reduce the conflicts of interest in your pricing structure, happy days. But if you get the first three right, you're probably ninety percent of the way there, frankly.
0: Yeah, no. okay. And if anybody wants to debate with Alan, I'm free to uh, host something on this podcast anyway, because I think it will be I think it would be, <laughs> it'd be interesting. But um, we've got a few minutes left. We haven't really touched probably the biggest uh, impact in our lives that we'll see anyway, um, which is the the AI. Um, it's it's everywhere at the moment, but um, This is when I started to follow you because you introduced me to Alloc. Okay. Um, And we're already in the process of using AI embedded into our our processes now, and it's been, it's not easy. But I wanna look at it from a financial planning perspective. And And the first thing is, is trying to understand in its purest form, what is AI in financial planning? Because AI is a big thing, but where do you see the sort of the advantages in AI in financial planning, if you could break that down?
1: Yeah, we could be here all day, but I'll, I'll try to summarize it in a couple of minutes. Very simply, I I, I see financial planning as, as being one of the kind of the, the parts of the, the knowledge industry. That's what we are, we're, we're kind of we're a knowledge business that are gonna be impacted the most because what 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 is the sort of primary focus of AI? It's primarily data, isn't it? It's organizing, optimizing, structuring data and extracting that for use by humans uh, in, in the best, most efficient, reliable, predictive way. And there's not many sectors that are more about data than financial services. We're really we're about, we're about translating conversations into um, the written word, I suppose. And then we're, we're about analyzing numbers as well, which is the other thing. So we, we sort of sit between maybe the legal profession, which is all about the written word, and the accounting profession, which is primarily about data and numbers. And we, we really embrace both in financial planning. If you can um, extract... This data in its multiple formats, both written words, spoken word um, numerical if you if you can sort of optimize analyze that, and then transfer that into something which can be you know this is we're doing this right now you're doing it, all financial planning firms are doing it, but we're doing it with human beings, and it doesn 't make any sense at all to me to do that w- with the the technology that now exists to do that because what we know is that ai enabled tools We'll be able to do this stuff can already do this stuff uh, faster more reliably more efficiently with more accuracy than any human being on the planet can do that's the reality so can we take parts of our businesses that right now a capital for example we've got um highly experienced highly paid fantastic people um drowning in excel spreadsheets for example where, you know as, as part of our advisory process would it all be possible to have um, AI-enabled, AI-enabled tools to do the majority of that work? Absolutely, we can already do that. You know, like you, we're we're on the the, the the same journey. We are already implementing this work. And when you have these wow moments, you think, "Wow, that that I was that that normally takes me two hours, and I've done it in two seconds." That's interesting, right? Where, where do we where do we go next? I think. There is a. Um, I think you gotta be careful. The, the, the challenge with AI is that the sheer volume mm-hmm. of stuff that comes at you. I mean, literally every day, I mean, I've subscribed to a few newsletters and things and I'm just thinking, well, it's just too much. Um, so the, the, the advice I would give to anyone who's, you know, I was going to say anyone who's thinking of going down, whether you like it or not, AI is exactly. coming at you, whether you're moving towards it, it's certainly moving towards you. Um, but from a financial planning, uh, company viewpoint, because we live in a, a regulated business, because we've got a lot of data and a lot of that data is highly sensitive and private information, you've got to slow down before you speed up. So the, 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 the idea of, um, you know, embracing AI is good, but start by building your policies and procedures. You've really got to work out, you know, what works for you, what doesn't work? What's acceptable? Because there's a danger of having enthusiastic team members running away and finding another AI tool, and you know, using that to to do some of their work, to, to find a shortcut for their work, and finding that perhaps some of the data has been sort of made public, or it's been used by sure. uh, an AI uh, company, which um, you know, the data isn't safely secu- uh, stored, isn't secure, um, and maybe is secured in a in a in a place or or a data center. Uh, which is not compliant with uh, UK regu- regulatory status. So, you know, this is what this is what we've done. This is what we're doing. We're building our policies and procedures, and I think then the, the next stage beyond that is just trying to find where do we think the biggest wins will come from. Because there is a million things we can do, and the danger is being overwhelmed by the opportunity. So, think about what, what what's your bottleneck? Where is the things in your business you think, wow, if we could save a few hours there, that would really be helpful uh, to us in the business. And then, and then just put most of your efforts into that rather than trying to do a million things at once. Try to do one thing. Just try to just take it. I would be taking this stuff perhaps more slowly than some other people that are suggesting and sort of running away with it. Just look for quick wins. Look for simple things that you can do. Um, we get some successes. This is what you need to do with a team of people is mm-hmm. if, if you bring in a team of people along, I think I'll throw this in as well because you know your, you know, your, your day job is obviously in... In recruiting, and I sense now having had a number of conversations with people at different part, different stages on their own careers, I sense an underlying uh, feeling of threat. Depending on what job you're doing, if all of a sudden you're saying, "Well, the thing that you're doing all day will be done if not today, certainly within a year, will be done by robots, effectively by AI-enabled technology." Then all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, I'm not loving this because what am I going to do? Um, so I think it's very important to to share that with team members, with other colleagues, potential uh, people that you might work with, to say the opportunities are going to be significant for human beings in the future if we if we're able to allow the um, you know the technology to do a lot of that grunt work. Frankly, the stuff that I don't think anyone really loves it, you know. Um, extracting data from other third parties analyzing it putting it into spreadsheets turning it into turning it into some sort of advisory report um it's fine it's a, it's a it's a bottom line thing that we have to do as part of our advisory process but if we're able to to you know do that faster quicker more reliably that just allows all of our team and other people working in our profession to do things that no ai will ever do what ai will never do by its very nature is be human it will never embrace the the actual the living breathing Um, aspects of being a unique human being and showing up in the world and having healthy conversations with other human beings and and offering advice, help, support and guidance to those fully enabled. So my view is the, the shape of the financial planning profession is going to change beyond all recognition in the next couple of years. And people need to prepare themselves for that and really kind of evolve their own personal role into being something that others will value you know, people will always value wise counsel, thoughtful advice, thoughtful support, you know, joining the dots, wisdom based on experience. All those things are valuable. So my future vision is that everyone's a financial planner. That, that's the fundamental thing. <laughs> Everyone on your team is a financial planner. All right, only some are, are, are sort of regulated, but and, and able to sign off formal advice reports, those that have gone through the exams. But if a financial planner means that I'm on the end of a telephone or a meeting or a Zoom call or whatever it is, giving healthy you know, feedback based on circumstances because all the technology has done the grunt work for us, but I'm able to give my observation on what those, the data and the numbers and the outputs are based on my experience and based on working with other clients a little bit like you, that's invaluable, really is invaluable. So as I say, I, I think this traditional kind of vertical model, admin, paraplanner, advisor is gonna be more of a horizontal model where more more people will be involved in the kind of the, the advisory process and showing up as a, as a human being and offering help and guidance to other humans,
0: and arguably the, the more interesting side of it as well. So,
1: but yeah, for, for, I'm sure there are some people again. I'm just using my own personal biases here. Sorry for that. Some people probably absolutely love darkened rooms with Excel spreadsheets. I've never enjoyed that part of the, the job, particularly. I enjoy working with human beings and sharing thoughts, stories, ideas, and, and, and inspiration. Yeah. I,
0: Well, very true. And hopefully that will remain, certainly for the next few years anyway. Um, Absolutely. So, Alec, that takes us to the top of the hour. Um, We could talk all day about AI. It's it's a lot more involved than that. But I think you've given some good advice, some good starting advice, actually, because I think advisors shouldn't rush into this. Break it down. Break down the process. Um, What can you automate? What is AI? And, And work with a partner. That's what I've learned as well. Work with a good partner.
1: Yeah, and you might want to put a link to that. We we're working with um, Implement AI, who you Mm -hmm. know, and and they've, um, yeah, we're working quite closely with them. We are building out something really relevant to financial planning companies. So if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about, if they are remotely interested in and perhaps getting on the front foot rather than waiting for this tidal wave to hit them, then by all means, um, reach out to me or or Speak to, to Implement AI.
0: Yeah, we'll put a link because this is happening. It's not going to go away. Genie's out of the bottle. Absolutely right. Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time today. Really, really enjoyed speaking to you. And uh, if we don't speak again, or shortly, enjoy the Arctic Circle. Look after (laughs) yourself. I'll do my best. Thanks so much for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Cheers. Thanks, Alan.